everybody. I'm Marianne Katsidis, and this is the Heart-Led Changemaker podcast. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where it felt so juicy and inspired that it left you feeling energized and ready to take on the world? There have been countless times I wished I could have recorded conversations like that because it felt criminal that no one else got to hear or experience that feeling. Those conversations ignite something inside of you because you visualize a new way to connect with others and sometimes even a new world. This show will provide you with ways to stay focused on the future, some food for thought, new ideas and concepts, a way to create abundance ethically, a showcase of those already doing the work and succeeding, and a sense of connection. Being a change maker can be very lonely, so this will serve as a community for heart-led warriors. Sit back and let this high-vibe, heartfelt conversation light you up. Today's guest is Jodie Atkinson. She is a certified advanced grief recovery specialist, speaker, author, and entertainer. Her debut book, Have You Met My Grief, not only serves as a written work, but also has been transformed into an award-winning cabaret show that premiered at the 2023 Adelaide Cabaret Fringe Festival. Following a profound personal loss, she became acutely aware of her own lack of preparedness to handle grief. She felt this was largely due to society's reluctance to openly discuss the topic of grief. Driven by a deep passion to help others dealing with grief, Jodie wrote a book on the subject. Furthermore, she has pursued certification in the very program that aided her in navigating her own loss, all with the intention of extending that assistance to others. Jody actively engages in writing and presenting to offer support to those struggling with grief, as well as their families, friends and colleagues. She takes part in speaking engagements for various community groups and takes the lead in orchestrating programs and workshops tailored for both individuals and groups addressing a wide range of losses. Jody, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you for having me, Marianne. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Jody, are you able to share and talk about the chain of events that led you on this journey? I am, yes. So I didn't always work in this space. I was, I had a, like a fairly broad career history, but I guess before I became involved in, in the grief space, I was working in running my own health and fitness business and I was quite happy. I had a good, good life. I felt like I knew my place in the world and um, yeah, life was really good. And then in 2019, well, the life as I knew, world as I knew it, shattered. I had been with my husband for 14 years and he was a healthy, fit, active man. He was 52 and he was um, experiencing some back pain, which wasn't unusual for him because on and off over the years, we all get little aches and pains here and there. But this one was different because it didn't didn't resolve with the usual ways that he would seek to do that, like, you know, massaging or some chiro, chiropractic treatment or even physio. And then some sort of strange indigestion developed and he went off to the doctor and obviously had that conversation. We ended up going to see a second doctor and getting a, a second opinion who was a little bit more thorough with their examination process. And um, a scan picked up that he had pancreatic cancer and he was stage four before we knew he was even sick. Apart from those mild, you know, those symptoms, which are quite quite general. So we had no idea. And then uh, we were told with treatment, he would have six to eight months. So he decided he wanted to pursue that. And uh, it just was such a brutal and like deteriorated so quickly that he died just 37 days later. So we barely got used to the idea that he was sick and he was gone. Within 37 days. Yep. I mean, yep. that's that is heartbreaking. And I'm so sorry, you know, to hear that, that, that must've been a shock, not just to you, but for your family and his as well. Oh, everybody. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it, it just seemed like surreal. Like how could this be happening? He's fit, he's healthy, he's active. He eats well, you know, he works out nearly every day, leads a pretty clean lifestyle, you know, how, how is this happening? It's just yeah, mind boggling, but yeah, it is a silent cancer. It can be quite aggressive. 
And speaking with other people who have had similar experiences with um, pancreatic cancer, they presented with similar symptoms to Craig. So I guess um, it's timely to mention that like November, we have got a pancreatic cancer fundraising event happening. So it's timely to sort of have the conversation around that because that's going to be here in Adelaide in November. But the Put Your Foot Down Walk, which is about raising funds for pancreatic cancer, because yeah, it is a silent, aggressive treat um, cancer. It isn't one that has... Um, huge stats in terms of survivor um, rates. So it's just around 10% will survive after five years and most will die within the first year that they're diagnosed. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable. I don't, I mean, I have had family members with various types of cancer, but not pancreatic cancer. I, I had no idea that it was that aggressive. Yeah, it can be. Yes. There yeah. are people out there that are living with the disease and, you know, but it is, like I said, there are, it's around about 10% that will survive after five years. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine how you would even start to reconcile that grief, you know, for it to happen so quickly. Look, where do you even start there? Yeah, good question. For me, I felt like my world just shattered. I, you know, grief for me showed up in the form of panic attacks, fear and anxiety. And one minute I'd be foggy and like disconnected from everything. And the next minute I'm having a raging panic attack. And I thought I was going mad. I thought I'm losing my mind. I've lost him and now I'm losing my mind. And I really struggled. I've never been one to have panic attacks. I've never had severe anxiety. I've never been scared to leave my house. I've never been worried about being out in public and then suddenly feeling this overwhelming urge to get in my car and get home as quick as I can. It's just, it was not what I expected. I don't know what I expected, you know, but not that. And it just, it was horror. It was horrendous. I didn't want to go back to work because I didn't trust myself to stand in front of a class and instruct people through a 45-minute exercise routine. Like I just, I, I can't do it. I've just lost the ability to function. It just, yeah, my my sense of identity, my purpose, everything just like obliterated. And so what what happened next? You know, so when you're, you, you know, you're having these panic attacks and, and this anxiety, what did you do? I said to my mum, I have to, I need help. Like I said, I can't deal with this by myself. And quite honestly, if this is my life now, I don't, I don't want to be here doing this because <laughs> I don't want to be living like this. This is, it's nuts. It's scary. It's yeah. It just, everything about my, my world just changed. So I did seek some counseling support and it was a quite horrendous experience. It wasn't something that I would ever want anyone to go through. I went there feeling quite vulnerable, fragile. I've, you know, explained what I'm got, what's going on. And the person that I saw did not give me any eye contact, fidgeted with things on their desk, basically told me after about half an hour, all well, time's up. And their parting words to me were along the lines of, you can't, you can't drink, out drink it. You can't out drug it. You can't out do this. You can't do that. You just have to get through it. And I rushed out of there, got in my car and just held my eyes out. I felt worse off for having that experience. And by the time I composed myself enough to be able to drive home, when I did arrive home, my, my family said, you know, how, how did you go? And I just said, I never want to go through anything like that again. I feel worse off for having had that experience. And if I can't get help, what am I going to do? Because I'm feeling, you know, quite quite desperate at this point. And uh, one day the palliative care nurse that had looked after Craig and I contacted me. She said, oh, you know, how are you going? I told her and she said, well, why don't we get some some counselling for you after, after Craig, you know, down the track a little bit. And I just said, no, I want it now. Like after the funeral, I think it was a few days before the funeral, she rang me and I said, I want to go, like, get me someone now. And so was that the, the modality that you're trained in now and certified in? Is that what you started with initially? No, no, no. So the, the second person that I worked with from palliative care was a social worker and I worked with him for a few months and he was lovely, very supportive, over the phone, never ever met this person, you know, wouldn't know what they look like at all, but such a beautiful rapport and supportive sessions with him over the phone. But unfortunately, he had to 
uh, returned back to the organisation that he was on loan from. He was sort of in an acting position, I believe. So our time ended and I found myself, I felt like a little life raft just sliced off and left to to drift, you know. I mean, I there was a handover with someone else, but the rapport wasn't there. I felt like I was, oh, well, you know, you've, you're making good decisions, you're backing yourself and off you go type thing. But that, I was far from ready for that. And the program that I certified in, I actually had never heard of before, the grief recovery method. And it was just bit stumbled across it on social media one morning actually Father's Day of 2019. And I just was like, what is what is this? So I Googled it and up came all this information about it. How do I not know this exists? Like, how do I, how is it I'm just finding out about this now? It was really, really good to find something that aligned with how I felt, what I believed, what I what I was looking for. And it spoke to me on a level that nothing else did. I mean, how incredible that you came across that because, you know, there there are a lot of people who don't have that opportunity, who don't know that these programs exist and they they are drifting along sort of aimlessly in the wind, if you will, trying to hold on to something to help mm-hmm. them cope through. And, you know, it's amazing that you did find that program. And obviously um, now you found that to be your purpose and part of your mission, which is so incredible. But I mean, grief is a, a normal and natural reaction to any kind of loss, but there are conflicting feelings caused by the end, isn't there? And a change in a change in the dynamics and a change in behavior. Is that something that you're noticing with the people that you're helping? And is that something that you noticed within yourself, even though you knew, you know, obviously you were you would have been told that things were declining at a rapid rate. Um, even even knowing at the beginning that there, you know, there might have been eight months, mm. six to eight months um, with your husband, the grief ultimately starts from there, doesn't it? It does because you your world has changed. So you hit the nail on the head because grief isn't just about death and divorce. Like most people associate those two life events with, oh, you're grieving the loss of that. But grief is the loss of like all the conflicting feelings that you would have at the in you know, a change in or end of a familiar pattern of behavior. Now, a familiar pattern of behavior is a relationship. It's our job. It's going to school every day. It's a particular way of life. And a global pandemic shut down our regular, you know, pattern of behavior real quick. And the world grieved. People may not have realized what the feelings were, but it was grief because it was loss of, you know, our autonomy and our our individuality, our, our ability to do what we do every day. And with the freedom that we so took, well, not took for granted, but we just had. And suddenly we're being told, you know, stay in your house, don't go out, go, but go only five kilometers, don't dance, don't do this, you know, and it just felt so foreign. So when you're told you've got a, a terminal diagnosis, there is the hopes, dreams and expectations of a life that is now not going to happen. You don't have time to do the things you might have been thinking of doing in the future. And it's the change in the dynamic of your relationship. You know, it's planning for something completely unforeseen that's, you know, ultimately with a terminal diagnosis, you're faced with your mortality. So it is scary. And it was pointed out to me, I was grieving before Craig passed because it was I'm grieving what we had lost already in that short period of time, like the, his, the deterioration in his health, watching him unable to do the things that he could do two weeks ago, being able to get up and take the dog for a walk every morning, and then suddenly struggling to put a dish in the dishwasher. You know, yes, I was grieving. He would have been grieving too. Of course. And, and there's a difference between grief and mourning, isn't there? Interesting. I think, I think grief, there are a lot of labels that come with grief and bereavement. And, you know, you, you'll find people might even put timeframes to those those things, to those labels. And I think it can get a bit tricky for me personally. I, I put this in my book, so this is just my view that I'm sharing. But I think when you put a label and a time frame on something, you lock into it. Whereas if you just are, are allowed to express how you feel and what's going on and someone acknowledges that that's what you're feeling and you're able to kind of move through that in your own way and pace and time, it doesn't kind of define you. So whether you're mourning or grieving, like I think, you know, I think it's up each to their individual, like to be what their emotional truth is. So for me, yeah, I don't, I don't love labels from that perspective. And I've heard so many people say that they thought they were grieving wrong because they didn't follow a particular process or go through a particular stage and things like that. And I think grief's hard enough as it is without throwing all that on top and feeling 
feeling like you're not getting it right, you know? Yeah. Of course. I mean, it's not, grief isn't linear, is it? It's It can stop at the start. It can happen at random times, usually at inappropriate times where, you you know, you don't want to be crying, but that's when it happens. You know, there, there have been times, even personally, I've been putting on my makeup and because that's when my brain is quiet and I'm concentrating, it's the only time that I'm really like, you know, in the, in the focus zone that then yep. I start thinking about things and I, I'm usually having some sort of meltdown, you know, when I've been in that those stages of grief, that's usually when things would kickstart for me and I'd be like, no, <laughs> I don't have time for this. Yes, yeah. but grief doesn't play like that, does it, right? No, it doesn't, no. It, yeah, and I mean, I have, I'm glad you raised that because I think I, I have heard where people have said, you know, I dedicate some time to sit and be in my grief each day and allow myself to feel my feelings because I've got too much stuff to do and I can't, you know, and that's that's great if that's where you're at. And I guess it depends where you're at in in relation to the intensity and the proximity of the, the loss and all of that. But I think, you know, you can be just putting on your makeup or hear a song on the radio or smell some familiar smell or you're flicking through photo albums or photos on your phone and suddenly there there's a photo that takes you back in time and you may have an emotional reaction to that. You know, it can throw you completely under a bus you know where you think I'm having a good day today and then boom something happens and you you know the next thing you know you say you know what I've I'm shutting up shop today I'm going home and I'm getting under that doona yeah (laughs) I'm just you know and and giving yourself that grace to do that as well I think is so important is there like a best time for someone to start dealing with their grief you know you, you were talking about there is no right way or wrong way it's about you know really embracing and and acknowledging your feelings and being with your feelings but do you feel like people need to give themselves some space before they start trying to work through their grief or is it better that, you know, the sooner the better? Each to their own. With grief recovery, we say that it's never too soon to heal your heart. Like if that's what you, if you feel that that's what you need to do. But I will say that quite often we're told time, give it time or time will heal all wounds, but time on its own just ticks past. And, you know, there are people out there who are, grieving something that happened a long time ago and something recent happens that kind of throws it back on top of unhealed or unresolved grief from a previous experience. So yeah, being very mindful of not telling people that time will heal wounds, time without taking some form of action. And to put it in context, if if you fell over and broke your leg, I'm not going to tell you to go and just give it time and have a sit down and it'll be it'll get better over time, you know. You'd go and get it looked at, x-rayed, maybe put in plaster, yeah. And if I if I saw you cut yourself in the kitchen, you know, making a meal, I wouldn't say, well, just you'll be right, like just, you know, wait a day or two and see what happens. You know, you'd get a Band-Aid or you might need stitches. But because grief is internal, we don't see the wound as such. And telling someone to give it time is just like telling someone with a physical injury that similar kind of thing. It's needs attention. It does need attention. So what about anticipatory grief? You know, when you know something is looming. So say, you know, with, with like say an eight-month prognosis, you know, or even two years or whatever it is sometimes people have, that anticipation in the lead-up can be quite full-on, can't it? I mean, I, I'm noticing uh, within my family unit, we've got two elderly people in our family and they are in and out of hospital and uh, multi- sometimes multiple times during the week in and out of hospital and every time you know, I can see my mum, you know, she, she like is holding her breath because there's a, a worry is, you know, is this it? Is this going to be it now? And and it, and it isn't. And that hasn't been for like three or four years, you know. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're doing a great job of, of keeping on going, but that anticipation of it can be quite terrifying, can't it? It is a terrifying period of time because everything changes like from, you know, certainly with Craig's situation, my husband's situation, like, you know, every time we sat in a doctor's office, it was a different thing thing to deal with you know it wasn't like oh we can hear that news process it work through it oh no this is happening now oh so change you know it's just chopping and changing you can never keep up with it and you I I actually said it it felt like a deadly game of chess every move we made cancer was like no check you know and then and then it was checkmate you know done and every everything we tried every direction we tried every every bit of advice we took on it was like we just get 
cut off at the pass every time. So not only are you grieving the lost opportunity that might have been there, you're now faced with a new new outcome or a new direction and then you deal with that. You think of you're going down that track and then suddenly it's like, no, that's game plans changed again. And you just, yeah, it just feels like you can't actually get on top of it or get in front of it or just get some level of normality. And that makes so much sense, of course. Like how, how like how do you even stay sane during that that kind of period? You're kind of like holding your breath the whole time, right? It feels like that. Yeah, I think um I mean I I got asked a question the other day. I said I honestly can't remember cuz Craig being he was quite private out of the two of us. He was the more re- reserved and he didn't want the whole world to know what he was going through. So we kept the news pretty close and didn't didn't tell anyone beyond close friends and family. And so, you know, I had to I I had to tell people at work because I had to stop. I had to cancel classes at the last minute, which, you know, without a reason, that would be annoying. But they understood that there was medical appointments or and things like that. So they were more understanding and supportive. But again, very limited in the information shared. So I don't think people really knew until, you know, he was he was sort of that last few days beforehand that I actually told a couple of my friends what was going on because I knew like I'm I'm gonna need support. Of I'm gonna course. need I'm gonna need people to to be there for me when, you know, when it happens because I'm I'm just fully invested in being there for him. Yeah. Oh, I mean, of course. I think that's a good call to make. And I think it's important for people in those circumstances to do that and to trust that, you know, people are going to be able to hold that space so they can grieve in the way that they're supposed to and they don't have to think about doing anything other than just receiving that love and care. So critical. It's a good point though, Bip, to Marianne, because like sometimes people don't know how to ask for help. Yeah. Right? Some people don't know how to reach out so educating society that when someone's grieving, like reach into them because sometimes they don't know. And people say, I'm here if you need me, you know, sing out if I can do anything. But sometimes people in that space, they don't know what they need. They don't know what they want. And they don't know how to ask for that. And being really mindful of the fact that sometimes it is just about turning up and saying, I'm here. No need to say too many words. It's just about showing up and saying, I'm here. Yeah. And, and also, you know, some people feel shame because I don't want to be a burden. There's like all sorts of other different different thought programs that are coming with, you know, I don't want to ask for this help. I don't want to, they're sick of hearing me talk about this. I think everyone's experienced that to a degree. And it also forms like part of our culture in Australia too, doesn't it? Like where people just don't feel like they can talk about their feelings. And then then if they do, sometimes it's, it is out of balance because I want to stay in that victim mode. So there's no action. It's quite a messy landscape here. Whereas when you look at America, you know, everyone's got a therapist, everyone's in there. So it's kind of a bit easier. Their, their culture is, you know, you're a weirdo if you don't have a therapist there. Whereas here, it's kind of like, oh, no, you should be right. It's fine. And it's like, that is so not the case because you could see in the in the behaviours um, that yes. they're not and the way that they're acting out and the things that they're reaching for, like alcohol and drugs and food and whatever else is going or, you know, over-exercising and, and all of those things. You can see people aren't coping, but that's instead of asking for help, they're doing that instead. Yeah. And it's a real shame. You're absolutely right. Like some cultures do grief really well. Like the whole community grieves together and extended time. Like it's not like a, you know, it might be a week or something, you know, like, but you openly show your emotion for what's happened. We've got some stuff to learn here. We can learn from these cultures that really know how to to grieve the passing of someone. So it is interesting when you look at different cultures and, and where did ours come from? And I think there is that thing about the generations around boys don't cry or men don't show emotion or a stiff upper lip and you know you've got to be strong that's another one like people will often say you know you just got to be strong and I often hear people say I need to be strong for my family or whatever and it's like actually how's that working out for you because the words are coming out but it's not consistent with what's happening in the body you know you're not feeling strong and you, you spend all this energy trying to stay in that stoic strong space and your your emotions just grief like I said is it's a beast of its own like it's it will not be mastered it will not be taught it will not be wrangled into you know you cannot organize it you know it manipulates you more than you manipulate it without actually sitting and acknowledging the emotions that it's bringing up and and learning what that's trying to tell you which is you know grieve acknowledge talk about the stuff that's left on you know there's stuff that's unsaid there's unmet hopes dreams expectations there's you know all the things you're not going to be able to do but 
but then you're grieving all the things that you had because it was what it was, you know, and it may not have been perfect in some cases. It might have been a very volatile relationship. It might have been appearing on the surface to the outside world that it wasn't a harmonious relationship, but there's still grief there because it's never going to be better than what it was now that, that that's passed. So regardless of what type of relationship that it was, there's there's grief there. And the other thing you said about um, the exercising and the smoking and the drinking, anything in excess is not good, right? But um, we do these things to try and distract ourselves from how we're feeling. They work short term, they have a place, but they're not they're not really, you know, how much ice cream can you eat before you realize that the answer's not at the bottom of the bucket? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. You know, just coming back to the culture side of things, I a hundred percent agree. There is plenty for us to learn from other cultures. I, I've got a Greek background, and so the the funeral process and that grieving process is so intense. It is not a light and breezy celebration. Like I've been to um people who are, you know, Christian and Catholic and all sorts of different things and and it it feels lighter but the the Greek process is it feels so heavy it feels like it's a bit too much in a way it doesn't feel as balanced but there's a an opportunity because everyone is in that state all together that you kind of like there is a benefit because you do get to just be sad in a really intense kind of way and then you start to feel that lightness so it's not like in dribs and drabs. It's just you're sort of pummeled in here and there's no real celebration of that person. It's just sadness. That's it, you know. And, and I feel I feel like there's components of different cultures that we could we can take and make our own. And the more open we are about how we're feeling about things and the more open we are about, you know, what we can do to better support each other, I think that's where we start with that side of things. I think that's going to aid in a bit rather than it being, no, this is like how we have to do that. Because when I think about myself, like if I, you know, when I think about myself passing, I don't want people to, I don't want them to be so sad like that. Oh, they will be sad. I hope, you know, no, they, they will I be know. sad. Of course, yeah. you know, I kind of hope that they are not celebrating that I'm dead. Not, not course, like dancing know. on my grave or anything like that. <laughs> Just bringing some lightness in. But but it, it's true. There will be people that would, you know, they're going to they're gonna have their feelings regardless yeah. of whether, you know, the yeah. person's laughing at the funeral or they're, they're crying their, yeah. their heart out like yeah you know each circumstance is different some of the time you know people don't have a chance to say goodbye and there's a lot of there's a lot of different components that make things more challenging around the grief process but what you were saying about you know grief not being just about death grief is about the loss of a relationship whether they've passed or not that resonates so strongly with me because I, I at one stage I had had four miscarriages and I split up with my ex-husband and even though that that relationship was terrible and toxic there was so much grief that I was unpacking and I, I didn't get any I started having kinesiology which led which is so similar you know it's sort of paralleled because then I wanted to pay that forward and so then I started helping people I trained as a kinesiologist and started helping people in that way so that we do have that in common and it, there's a lot of healing that comes with being of service in that way do you find that that has helped you with your your grief because you're hearing these stories and it's it's helping you heal components of you that may have been lost in in that space? I think so I I'm a very visual person like I I and I like analogies right so for me it was like I fell in this massive hole that I didn't know existed and when Craig died I suddenly found that there's this chasm and I fell in it I was able to pull myself out of there like I you know I, I recognized my need for support and help and I I threw everything at it because I just thought I can't I can't live like this I just can't continue to live in this horrific tumultuous volatile emotions and unpredictability and I didn't want to just walk out of the hole and think you know what there's going to be people coming in and falling in after me and I can walk away and just go well that's what happens but that doesn't feel right to me you know that hole exists you've got to do something to either smooth it over or stand on the side and pull people out you can't take their grief away from them you can't outsource it but you can hold their hand and and help them navigate their own grief and that for me was what this was about I just thought now that I know that this is a thing I can't just let other people find out like this it just doesn't feel right so 
wanting to be there to support people to to go, you know what, I know it's scary. I know it's hard. I know there are days where you just think, you know, I stop the world. I want to get off and I can't take it away. But, you know, I can sit here with you and I can listen. And talking to someone that might not be involved in your circumstance helps a lot, doesn't it? Having a bit of distance, yeah. And like I would never say to anyone under any circumstances, like I know how you feel because I don't. I know how I felt at the time, but I don't know your situation or the next person's situation. I don't know the feelings they've got. And people will often say to me, you know how I feel because you've been through this. It's like, I know how I felt. I don't know how you felt. And I'm not going to even try and, and, you know, even consider that I would because you have a unique relationship with each person on this planet. And you might be, you know, one person who is a, a mother, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a neighbor, a friend, a teacher, a mentor. You know, they've got all these relationships. And everyone they're connected to is going to have some form of grief when that relationship ends, but no one knows how each other are feeling, you know, telling someone you know how they feel, you you just, you don't. No, and I I think it's easy just to say that because you don't know what else to say, but that's not really providing the other person with any comfort. You know, and again, and that that falls into all sorts of different things, breakups, miscarriages, death, job losses, whatever it is, COVID, you don't, that the other person doesn't really know what you're, what you're dealing with. You know, when you look at COVID specifically, that created so much grief for so many people. I was living in Melbourne, so I I went through the first lockdown. I, I can say with full honesty and truth that I wouldn't have made it that second year. My, my heart just wouldn't have been able to take it. I barely made it out, to be honest. I was like fighting my way out of that space. And and it took, oh, like, I felt like a year, maybe two years for me to start to feel normal. And even though there were other people that I see and meet that are, were, are from Melbourne or living in Melbourne, they say, I know how you feel. They don't because a lot of people weren't in my circumstances and Correct. they didn't experience the trauma and my history either, which was perpetuating the whole thing. You know, the the abandonment, the loneliness, you know, that that loneliness, because I I was living on my own there. I didn't have any pets. There was no, you know, partner. There was there was nothing. And I couldn't even see any friends. And a lot of people weren't in those circumstances, but a lot of people were. And even those people, I can't say that I knew how they were feeling because I don't know their history and I don't know what trauma they've had in the lead up to that. That's making and exacerbating those circumstances. So I think it's an easy go-to to say that to someone else. And I've probably, I'm sure I've said that to, to other people without thinking, but in this conversation, it's building awareness, you know, it's building yeah, awareness right. of how we communicate and how we can just acknowledge and just listen rather than just trying to relate. I think that's so important. It is important. I just want to say, look, I'm, you know, I really feel, for for you being in that situation and having an awareness that isolation is not great for people. And that was one of the reasons like becoming an advanced you know, grief recovery specialist was I could do this online. So people couldn't come and see me face to face or I couldn't go and see them, but we could get online and we could do this type of thing, which was massive. Because how do you have grievers sitting in their homes isolated, trying to make sense of, you know, A, maybe job loss, be they're dealing with a relationship breakup or they are in a relationship that is already, you know, volatile potentially. You know, you've got people locked down together who may not be working so well. And then people, for whatever reason, it is really affecting them. How do we connect with these people if we can't see them? So um, being able to get online and talk to people and communicate and say, you know, I'm here. I can hear you. Like, let's talk this out. Let's look at what we can do rather than what we can't do. For sure. And and some of those people had all of those circumstances, the Correct. job loss, a volatile relationship, a, a relationship breaking down, dealing with kids, like all, all the things. I mean, I, I, I would never know how to relate to someone on that level because that wasn't my experience. Yeah. You know, that uh, sort of leads me to my next question. You know, we've got some quite significant, strong world circumstances going on at the moment. We've got wars happening. We've got, you know, the COVID thing and all the other different agendas that go on that are creating devastation in, in, and that's probably the easiest word to use, devastation, because it is in different ways. I'm assuming that you've seen a significant increase in the amount of people that are coming to you trying to work through their grief. Have you noticed that a significant change or do you feel like 
like things are sort of same same for me uh look i i'm sort of i talk to people all the time about loss grief of all sorts and the one thing i will say is find something that aligns with you like i offer a program that i like i found life changing for me and i wanted to provide that opportunity but i'm not saying that you know don't do this therapy don't do that or whatever find what works for you and follow that through and and talk to people some people connect to their faith some people you know will go and do like bereavement groups they want to be in that group environment other people can't you know think that that would be the worst place to go so recognizing what works for you is first and foremost but i think coming back to what you're saying about you know there is so much going on in the world i think allowing ourselves to acknowledge first and foremost because i think that sometimes people go i'm okay i'll be fine i'll be i've got you know i'm just going through a rough patch or whatever and we deflect it and it might not hit for you know really hit for down the track you know i've heard people say you know they've just seemed to be going along quite well and then all of a sudden two years later it's when it hits so again grief doesn't have a method a a process or it's it's unique in that way but i think when it does present in our lives is acknowledging that you know these are feelings and i think sometimes for me for example i didn't know that fear anxiety and panic were part of grief i do now because i've spoken to other people that have had that experience mm-hmm. but i but prior like i don't remember ever having a conversation with anyone about that i saw people cry i'd go to a funeral people are crying people are sad but i didn't really know that grief can can impact that way. I mean, some of the women I spoke to when I wrote my book, I, I interviewed other women who'd gone through like the death of their spouse and some were getting hooked up to cardiac machines because they thought they were having a heart attack and it was a panic attack. And there is a thing called broken heart syndrome where the heart muscle actually does change. So there are physiological things that are going on in our body too and grief can make us sick. If it's not resolved, it can show up in the form of infections, colds and flus and chronic illness. You know, it does impact our routines and the way we eat. And we do increase our smoking or drinking or, you know, start eating food that we don't eat before or engaging in unhealthy activities over a long period of time that become a problem. So it is something that if we don't deal with it, if we don't find a way to work through it and acknowledge it, it will. What's that saying? I think I've heard that saying, if you don't listen to your body when it whispers, you have to listen to it when it's great. Yes, yeah. and and they absolutely do. Just um, just coming back to my question, just from your perspective, have you seen an increase in the amount of people that are experiencing grief, given the way that the state of the world is, or no? I would say there are a lot of people still experiencing the impact of what happened in 2020 with border closures and lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. I would say there is still a significant amount. I I know of people who work in the in the mental health profession who had massive increases people coming to them as a result of what happened. I was only just sort of starting in that space when that all happened. So, you know, I I remember being on a a Zoom call with a group of business owners and people were sharing feelings of of what they were going through and they they were grieving. And when I said to them, this is what's happened, these are the words, you know, put the normal natural reaction to loss of any kind and the pattern of behavior and going to work and your business is shut down and you've had to turn off machines, you've had to switch off things that are usually run 24-7, you know, it was, you could sort of see the, oh, okay, I, I, I now understand what's going on here and it's okay and acknowledging it. So, yeah, I guess from my my perspective, I tend to see a lot of people that are experiencing loss in terms of death and relationship breakdown, just starting to kind of work in more in the career space a little bit more now, but mainly my, my experience has been in the loss and relationship and death in that regard. That, that makes sense. Mm. Jodie, do you think that grief ever ends? <sighs> That's an interesting question, isn't it? So I think, and again, this is, you know, my opinion on this, but I think that grief is, it's intense and it can have that overwhelming impact, you know, soon after something happens. And I think how people interact with their grief is going to impact what that's going to play out like. I think if you can work through it and get to a point where you can connect with your loss from a place of positivity and love rather than pain, because I think sometimes we get, you know, locked on to, I'm connected to this and it hurts like hell and it's painful. But if I don't have this pain, what do I have? So reframing our thinking around, well, we can connect to our loss. I still feel very connected to my husband. I still very, you know, but it's more from a place of love now. That doesn't mean that, you know, birthdays, anniversaries and things like that don't 
bring up emotion because it will. And, you know, I sit with it and I allow myself to feel it, but I don't unpack and live there like it used to. Like, you know, grief, I've, I sort of talked about grief being like this external thing that came in, took over my life, shook my world up and then overstayed its welcome until finally I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I think you're ready. I think you can pack your bag and go now. I think I've got this. But it will come and knock on the door occasionally and say, hey, remember me? It's about that time of the year. Let's sit down and have a coffee. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, but acknowledging that because when I stopped fighting my grief and, you know, I managed those panic attacks and that anxiety a lot better. But when I leaned into it, I actually started to learn a lot about myself and about grief. It does give you a perspective that you can't have any other way. So being able to embrace it and kind of learn from it and allow it to be your teacher is quite powerful. And I think that's what drives me. I, you know, why I'm so passionate about it. It's because on the other side of that is, an amazing perspective and insight that only comes through going through something like that. But it's a double-edged sword. It's both great and shit at the same time. You know, shit that I had to go through that to get this perspective. And grief recovery doesn't mean you're recovered and you never, ever feel feelings again and you you never think about it again. Because I don't know about you, but I didn't forget that I went to school and I didn't forget that I got married and I don't forget that I learned to drive a car, right? So I'm not going to forget that somebody or multiple people in my life have been here and have died. So when you think about the first day when you got your driver's license or you think about your wedding day or you, the birth of your child or whatever, you're going to have emotions about those memories as you will about loss. So I think it's about getting to a point where you can connect to that, but it doesn't become the, I don't know, like stop you in your tracks, pull you down, prevent you from stepping forward kind of stuff. You know, it's it's being able to have those fond memories and smile and remember without feeling like suddenly there's it's pain riddled because you haven't worked through some of the stuff that unresolved grief will ultimately be um be about. I mean does that make sense? Yeah, of course it makes sense. <laughs> everything you've been saying makes so much sense. I'll I'll my I've got like a seven other million questions to ask you. But my next one one is how do you know someone is coping okay with their grief because when you look at suicide rates when you look at people uh, suppressing their feelings and their emotions I mean that's pretty rife like how as from one loved one to another you know I've got people in my family who are grieving at the moment how how do I know that they're really you know grieving okay and that they're they're working through it okay well would, would you ever really know it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, you know, I I have a very limited experience in the space around suicide. And I have spoken to people who have lost family members because they've died by suicide. And, you know, everybody, not everybody, some people have said that people say things like, oh, did you know they were going to do that? Or did you know that that was... And of course, you know, when you think about that, what a loaded question that is. Someone's probably not going to go to work if they know that their person is thinking they're going to take some form of action to end their situation or end their life. So I think a big part of grief around that is that there's guilt that we didn't know they were going through this or I should have known or I should have done more. And, you know, there's a lot of should have in that space and learning how to resolve some of that communication that, that we take on regardless, you know, even if, you know, it may not be, may not be suicide, it might be some other form of death, but being able to give voice to the feelings we're feeling and, and the reaction that we've had to it is big part of being able to resolve grief in that regard. I talk about emotional rocks. We carry them around with us we and we chuck them in the backpack and we carry it around and it gets heavy. And learning how to put those emotional rocks down, and I mean down, not just put them in your pocket or shift them to another spot or put them on the shelf, but then put them back in the backpack a bit later on. It's literally about learning to put it down so we don't pick it up again. That's working through your stuff. And I think it's about asking, isn't it? I mean, we had Are You Are you Okay Day not that long ago. I love that for awareness, but why can't we ask that question every single day? Yeah, I have two minds about it. I think it's there's no depth to the question because people will just, it's, it's the same as how are you? And everyone just answers good. Good, yeah. 99.999% of the time that is not actually the answer That's but right. when you when you do answer with your truth sometimes the other person you can tell the other person's not expecting it doesn't know what to do with it and also in some cases doesn't even want to receive it so I, I feel like yes we definitely need to be more mindful of our communication with others but it's actually just being still and actually demonstrating to the other person we're ready to take in whatever they've got 
to say not doing it in passing because it's it's just something to do it's just something to say you know i think it does bring a good awareness but but dot 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 it's not a flippant comment yeah like and i totally agree because the words i'm fine are the biggest lie we will hear yeah i'm good is my favorite that's and i find myself saying that i'm good and that's a total lie sometimes i'm not good Mm. there are other times where that is true but i'm not good i'm i feel great you know so it's even in the language that we use isn't it it is and i think that was you know one of the things again like coming from lived experience going about my day-to-day people go how are you and I thought if one more person does that to me like I scream because it's so like you know the sad pity face and the head tilt you just think oh like um, I don't want to see that but but ask me how I am don't assume that you know how I feel oh you must be having a really hard day it's like actually I was having a pretty good day today and now I now I feel like I shouldn't be but I got really honest I just got really honest and and I do even now when people say to me how are you going you know what I'm I'm actually I'm having a tough day today thank you but I'm trying I'm here I've turned up you know or I'm having a really good day thank you or um you know what I don't feel on top of my game but you know I'm, I'm still putting one foot in front of the other so being honest about where you're at and rather than just going yeah I'm fine and clearly everyone can see that perhaps you know you're not as fine as you you're trying to be we you know in grief recovery we call them award academy behaviors you know winning behaviors because it's like yes I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and then crash so it's I think being honest is about, you know, but being honest in a way that doesn't mean you have to sit down and have a, a friend counseling session for an hour. You know, it's just like, I'm I'm actually, I'm having a rough day. Like, yeah, be and, honest about it. Own it. And as a, as a friend, just, just asking, you know, how are you feeling today rather than how are you or, you know, even just changing that language because then they're having to talk about how they feel rather than just saying I'm fine or I'm good or whatever because you're, you're sort of getting a little bit deeper into the conversation and mm. I think that that's helpful as well. So for those people who are grieving listening to this podcast today, what would you suggest they start with? Where would you what would you recommend as a as a starting point for the healing process? I think just being honest about how you feel like with yourself and with other people, you know, and and there will be times when you do want to be by yourself, you know, being around people when you're grieving can be exhausting. Like you can tire out really quickly. So it might be nice to have friends over, but don't feel that you have to sit there and endure long, you know, a a long lengthy conversation to say, you know, I'm actually feeling really tired right now. I feel like I want to have a lay down and be just communicate what you were saying before about the friend thing. If, if you don't have time to sit down and have a great long chat, let's, schedule in a coffee later in the week and see, you know, make time to have that conversation. So, you know, you're still there, but it might not be appropriate to, to be able to do that. So, you know, um, let's catch up for a coffee later on in the week or let's go out for dinner. I think the important thing is if is also if someone says no, not today, no, thank you, keep asking, keep asking because one day they're going to say yes and it will be the thing that they need on that day that is going to make the difference. You know, it might be a walk in the park. It might be a coffee. It might be a pedicure. It might be, you know, who knows? But it might be the thing that pulls them out of a slump that day. So a lot of people stop asking because they keep getting told no. Don't take no for an answer. Don't badger them, but just stay on there Um, because one day they'll say yes. And like I said, you'll be that person that made a difference in that space. In terms of asking for help, I guess, you know, it's important if you do go and visit someone in their home and there's coffee cups or washing or things lying around, ask Ask before you touch them because that coffee cup might have been the last thing their person touched before they they died. And the washing in the basket might be the clothes they had on. Or So don't assume that you're just going to walk in there and start taking over because part of the grieving process will be moving that coffee cup when that person's ready to move it. And it could sit there for six months, you know. So just being mindful that when you go into the space that to ask before you touch things. I mean, these are things that people wouldn't, I mean, I'm just thinking about the Greek culture. They, The whole family comes over right then and there. And uh, the days in the lead up to the funeral, that they're in the house. You, know, you don't even have a choice. I, I, I'm like, my head feels like, whoa, what? You know, that's a that's an option, but you can yeah. you can give people a choice, you know, about that side of things. It's oh, I'm gonna Again, have to spread the word. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a thing. 
that you learn. Like yeah. it's not a, I mean, it's in my book, but I don't know that yeah. it's in other people's books. But, no, I don't um, think it is. Because it is, you know, like talking about and certain, yeah, certain things will, you know, there's no right or wrong time to pack up someone's clothes, for example. Yeah. And they may want to do that by themselves. They may want help with that. But if they've still got clothes hanging in the wardrobe six months later, seven months later, a year later, that's there. That's on their, their call to make that. So, yeah, just being respectful of the space. I think yeah. it's important. And for people grieving, I think one thing I felt really passionate about was being able to empower them with some boundaries around what they can and can't say to people when it's like, oh, you know, just give it time or you're like, well, something I got told, you're young, you'll meet someone new one day. And it's sort of like, okay, but I don't, like, wow. I'm just, yeah, right. Yeah. So being mindful of those sorts of conversations and saying, you know, the three things that I came up with, with that's not what I think, that's not how I feel, and that's not what I believe. Because, you you know, sometimes people will project their religious beliefs, God's plan or it's God's will or have, you know, have faith in this. And that's great. But you've got to respect that not everyone will align with maybe your views or they might have different spiritual or religion or different beliefs of different faith. So being mindful of, you know, you don't have to sit there and just take everybody's stuff coming at you because everyone's got advice when, you know, everyone, it's a Shakespeare, everyone can cure a grief, but he who has it. So it is one of those things that I, I think have some boundaries, you know, be happy to happy to share mine. Like I said, not what I believe, not what I think, not how I feel. Of course. And, and even people who are religious might be having, you know, might be feeling really angry with their maker you know, ah. who do they believe in? You know, I mean, it's quite a hurtful thing to say. I know people mean well, but it can be quite triggering because they're trying to make peace with what's happened in their life, and and that can happen to them. A person who's got the strongest faith, and one incident like that throws everything into question, and often it does. And, and that's that's another grief on top. That's a secondary loss, isn't it? Like we yeah. sometimes you lose someone in your life dies, but you will lose friends and family as a result of that person dying. And quite often people may question their faith. You know, this person was um, particularly, you know, strong in their faith. You know, God was the center of everything and God made the decision to take this person away. People may feel angry about that. So they will have a secondary loss in terms of the relationships around the primary, the person that they've, you know, that has passed away and then, you know, subsequent relationships around that. So because the dynamic changes. For sure it does. Yeah. Mm. Jodie, you are an amazing human. Your strength and your want to serve others is incredible. And uh, I'm so grateful that our paths crossed in the most <laughs> random of places. That's amazing, though. That's the beauty of life, right? That's, yeah. you know, we do have these, <laughs> the light and shade, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you you know, sharing your story and being vulnerable and, and helping the audience understand more about the grief process. How can the audience connect with you? How can they reach out to you if they need some help or if they want to talk to someone about what they're experiencing or what they're experiencing within their family unit? What's the best way? So I've, I'm on the socials. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I've got my grief recovery page, Jodie Atkinson, grief recovery specialist. I'm also an author and entertainer. So I, there's the author and entertainer side as well. I have a cabaret show that I do about grief. It's named Have You Met My Grief? The same as the book. So talk a bit about this stuff in, in the show with some humor and, and some singing and some storytelling. So there's, you know, Fringe coming up soon. So I'll be doing a couple of shows there. But I'm also on www.jody-atkinson.com.au and I am on LinkedIn. So I'm, I think I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. I think so as well. <laughs> I will be sharing the links with the podcast but I just wanted to, um, yeah, I just wanted you to be able to share that. Jodie, thank you so much for being on the show today and talking about how you can transmute the grief and to work through it and how we can better support each other through that process. It's, it's been a really important and powerful discussion today. And again, I'm so grateful that you were able to join me. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I've I've really enjoyed, you know, some of the topics that we've explored today have um, it's been really good and, and it's been really nice to be able to share some, some tips, I guess, for, for people. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. again. 